0: God our heavenly father, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer. Uh, we thank you that in your uh, in your uh, omniscience and your all-knowing sovereign power uh, you have orchestrated a history that it be redemptive. Uh, that through the power of Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection, through the work of the spirit you have called us to worship you rightly, fully, even as uh, we have been called righteous through faith. And I pray that as we look into your word today, um, that as uh, as we've just prayed to you in song, that until our faith be made sight, that your word would endure and would encourage us and would strengthen us that we might endure the race that is set before us. I pray that today... In this moment that we have in your word, that your spirit would enlighten our hearts and our minds, that we would not go from this text the same, but that we would be changed, that we would be altered in ways that really uh, demonstrate the image of God that is in us, that is brought new through Christ and the power of the spirit. We thank you so much for the privilege to come into your word and sit under it today. In your name, amen. Well, hello. I'm uh, I'm Josh Casey. I serve here as the uh, as a pastor up at the uh, North Campus, and uh, it is a joy, an honor, a privilege uh, to proclaim Christ here from Hebrews 12. Uh, we've read here um, from the first uh, few verses, uh, verses one through three of Hebrews 12. Um, but as we uh, as we look into Hebrews 12, uh, we see that it's going to urge us to run the race. Uh, but I wanna clarify that, that this is not the starting gun if, if we're gonna go with that analogy. It's not the starting gun of the race. We look back at the Hebrews uh, 11 and we see that the race has already been run. It has been uh, continuously run over centuries. We see this uh, hall of heroes or, or uh, faithful witness or uh, as uh, verse one says, it's so great a cloud of witnesses that has run before us. People like Abel and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, we get all of them who have run before us. Uh, but we find out that as, as they go uh, forward, as they have run this race, we see something very interesting. So before we get to this race that has been going, I kind of want to get a running start at it. I'm going to start here in, verse, uh, in chapter 11, verses 39. So either go back and look at that, scroll back to that, however you're, you're reading, verse uh, 39 of chapter 11 reads, And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He says, And all of these people who have run before, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Not receiving what was promised. That could seem to be a bit wearisome. Not receiving uh, the end of your expectation. And maybe we can identify on some level, a superficial surface level. Uh, Maybe it's this this, this question of when will our expectations be realized? Are we doing online only schooling or not? Uh, Do we have job stability during pandemic or not? Are we going to be able to pay the bills? Will there be a stimulus check or not? Should we wear masks or not? When will this all be done or will it never be done? Will it just get worse? Will there be justice for all people of all colors or not? It seems as we are in a spot in this moment in history where there are all of these wars raging. We are very contentious people and it is wearisome. I've talked to dozens of people this week uh, in our church, uh, in our community. And if I could sum up the the general sentiment of people now in Johnson County, we are weary. We are weary people. I want to clarify what weariness means because I think uh, the main thrust of our text is going to move us towards something that, that strengthens us away from weariness. And so what is weariness? I'll tell you what weariness is not. Weariness is not stress. Weariness is not um, fatigue. It is not anxiety. It is not exhaustion. These are, these are not weariness. Weariness, those are things that maybe happen as we're uh, seeing and interacting with these, with these battles raging around us. Weariness is something that, that's deeper. It goes, it goes further down. It's at a soul level. Uh, one, um, one ancient writer, ancient philosopher, he, he, he writes about... Um, Wars that are happening. He uses the same word that the author of Hebrew uh, uses, and he describes weariness this way. This is how he uses it. He says weariness uh, to be tired, to be this word weary of the continuous succession of wars. It's 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 not the wars themselves. It's it's this continuousness of them, one thing after another. What is going to be the next contentious topic? I mean, I'm at a loss right now. I would guess that if, if some political figure writes some crazy thing about cats, all of a sudden we're going to be fighting about that too. It's, we're ready to go at anything. And we're weary. This weariness is, is kind of a, a perplexion. It's like a Rubik's Cube of, of, of a problem that we don't know even quite how to solve. But it's not even that level. Like that is maybe just uh, we want to know how we solve something. It's this like idea that we, we don't even know how to enter that conversation. And we don't even know where to start with our race conversation. We don't even know where to start with this masks. Do we go uh, medically? Do we go politically? Do we? How do we? What's our first step forward? We're perplexed as a people, and, and and because we don't even know how to begin engaging many of these topics, it moves us to despair. Our hearts, our souls, are weary. And I think, uh, I think uh, God's. Uh, uh, Benevolence in his, uh, in his providence. He has gifted us this week. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 has a remedy for our weary hearts. And his answer to this is look to the enduring Christ. And so I want to get into this uh, today. We want to unpack this today. The ESV Study Bible uh, is, is, is so fantastic. I'm just going to read what it's su- a survey or summary is of this passage here. And so it says, uh, the ESV Study Bible, just reading straight out of that, get yourself one. It's phenomenal. Uh, Given past examples of faith and Jesus' own endurance of the cross, Christians are to run with endurance the race of faith. So that's our urge today. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. And so, as we run with endurance, the race set before us, there are some things that we do. We read here, it says, uh, let us also lay aside every weight of sin which clings so closely. This is the first step in running this race with endurance. We have to shed the weight here. And so, it says, let us also lay aside. So, those who have run before us also did this, chapter 11. And so, we also then lay aside every weight and sin. The sin part's pretty easy. As Christians, we kind of get this idea. We've been talking about this for the past several weeks. Um. Uh, sin is that stuff that we do that is disobedience to God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he writes in chapter 7 of Romans, uh, his struggle with this sin. He says, this is, this is strange, this is clumsy. Chapter 7, uh, Romans 7 verse 15 says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do everything I hate. And even more, verse 18 goes on to say, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He's stuck here between these these things. Uh, He says, I I know which way is right, but every time I go that way, I just trip and face plant. And then the way that's wrong, I end up (laughs) rolling over that way and just keep going down that hill there. More or less, the Apostle Paul, who has written so much on sanctification and holy living in the Bible, he says, this just feels really clumsy. And if that's you, I hope that gives you some hope. (laughs) The Christian walk is pretty clumsy because the Christian walk is one of struggling with our sin. It's going to detract us. It is going to be weighty. But that's the sin side that we need to lay that aside because Paul even then follows up the next chapter in Romans 8 and he says, but we need to get to the task of daily putting to death our sin. Don't just avoid it. Don't just run away. Don't just leave it alone, but actively go into it. Name what that sin is. Own that sin in your own life. Say, I do this. Repent of it. Ask forgiveness for it, and then make a plan. Turn from it and say, this is what I will do to walk away from this sin. That's what killing your sin is. That's what putting to death your sin is. Interestingly enough, laying aside every sin is also the same language as putting to death. Putting aside, taking off all of these things that so easily entangle us. He says, so put that away. So the, the sin part, that's the kind of the Christian thing that we, we understand a bit. But there's another word that comes in here. He says, let us also lay aside every weight. The not so sinful parts that distract us from the, way, uh, from the race. Maybe it's an unwise decision that you make. Uh, I think of races, uh, I, I used to, um, I used to uh, really enjoy the, uh, the series, The Office, uh, and in the, in, the, in the TV show The Office, Dunder Mifflin has its fun run, um, and, uh, and, and, and leading into this one time, uh, Michael Scott, the, um, he's kind of like the comical dunce boss, played by uh, Steve Carell, he, he decides he's going to carb load, and so he carb loads on this like massive feast of, of fettuccine Alfredo minutes before this race. So it doesn't go so well, uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't come out in, in, in the form of energy as he had hoped. It, it does eventually towards the end of the race come out, but it's, it's, it's awful. We do that with our own life sometimes. We just, we just do these really dumb things. We make bad decisions and they get us in bad spots and we feel terrible. We have to step aside and, and we look like fools. Sometimes we just do foolish things. They're not sinful. We just make, we bite off more than we can chew. We take this assignment on when we should have said no. There's no one saying you have to do it. We just decided we'd take it and then it distracts us from what we could do. We choose uh, screens over our, over our scripture. We choose, we choose uh, this sport or that sport. We, 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 we choose this activity. We choose that vacation. We choose that next goal instead of uh, maybe giving in a way that would have taught us something different. Sometimes we just make foolish decisions and that puts us in a bad spot. And so that's one of those weights. Sometimes it's a superficial aspiration. You know, I'm, I am terrible at running. I like cycling. I, I hate running. And, and whenever I run, I, I like, I'm thinking of like, I do play these mental games and I think like, okay, the finish line. What does the ribbon look like? What is it going to feel like when, it go, when I go across it? Well, it How's the, the confetti when it comes down and everyone cheers? Because, of course, I'm running like the greatest you know, race ever. And then all the fans come and they pick me up like Rudy and they cheer my name. They put a, you know, a wreath on my head and a, and a trophy there. And I drink milk and I think I'm mixing sports at this point. But it, it, this victory is going to be great. And, and all the while, it, I'm tripping over today. I'm forgetting that my shoes are untied, that I'm going up this hill and I'm not doing so well on it. But I try and like escape to the future glory. When we do that in our Christian's lives, some of it is sin, but there there are times where we actually just hunker down and try and get to that goal, and we don't take care of what we're supposed to in today. That's a weight. That's a distraction. Sometimes when we do that, we use the people in the presence of us today more as pawns or more as projects than they are people that we're supposed to be worshiping with. We just need this person, rather than, than, than listen to them, we need them to give us some water so I can keep running. Or, or this person just needs to encourage me a whole lot more because I am going to get to that goal. Sometimes we just need to slow down and look at today. But some of us may, may actually spend too much time in today. Another weight that could be there in this race is an over-focus on our gear, on our technique, on our skills. I'm a person who really likes skill and technique. Uh, I, I oftentimes fall in this category where I'm trying to uh, trying to get better at preaching. And so I'll, I'll, I'll get the latest preaching book and I'll, and I'll stick in it all the time. And, and I get the best uh, theological uh, book that's out there or, or something comes uh, on the radar that in the reformed evang- evangelical tradition is just really hot. It's the thing to get and I want to, I wanna read it. And I'll find myself reading books oftentimes trying to get better at being a pastor. I'll be, you know, Two, three days into the week, and I'm sitting there in this book reading all about how to minister to the saints, how to be with people, how to listen actively. And I realize I've literally just looked at a book for three chances in that week and have yet to actually talk to a real person. Some of us sometimes spend way too much time tying our shoes, finding the best shoe, getting the best technique, training, 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 training some more, training some more. It says, Let us run the race. Sometimes we need to just get off the couch, get out of the the weight room, get out of the study, just go run the race with people. Sometimes that's the best way to get better at racing. Oftentimes we'll find out how clumsy we are and how much we need Christ. So we get to this point where we lay aside every weight, every sin, which clings so closely, and we're told, Let us run with endurance, the race set before us. Let us run with endurance, the race set before us. I love this word endurance. Let us run, not just run however. Run with endurance. This isn't a sprint. This is endurance. Endurance, uh, maybe it could be, uh, I don't know, captured in, in maybe two words. Perseverance and patience. A perseverance is the capacity to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty. So to hold out, face up in the face of difficulty. So let's imagine, let's imagine this. We're running the race. You know, it's not a sprint. So so there's some kind of jog. I would suggest it's a marathon. And we're running this race and there are people on the sidelines and they're saying things to us. Maybe some encouragements, maybe some uh, discouragements. Uh, It'd be a strange race to just hear someone cheer against you. But hey, guess what? We've got an adversary, the devil, and he does that. But as we run this race, we hear things. Uh, we maybe, maybe see small failures. Maybe we messed up at work. Maybe we said the wrong thing in our marriage. Maybe we were a little too vindictive with our children. And we've messed up a bit. That's the kind of stuff that happens when sinners are just trying to figure out life. But somehow then the devil, he jumps over this, this, the barricade. You know, he jumps over and he runs up to us running and he just gut punches us. And it stings, it sticks. It's shame. He takes some of those occurrences and maybe it's like this. He speaks to you this way. This is the devil taking natural everyday things and sticking them, gut-punching you in your heart, in your identity. He says things like, you'll always turn in bad reports. Your work's never gonna be that great. Try all you want. You're not the smartest. Try all you want. You're not the most organized. Your words don't work very well. You're worthless. You're not valuable on this team. Someday the veil will be lifted and everyone will know you've run them for the show. You've, 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 you've been something that you're not, and everyone's going to know you're a phony. Those things happen in our lives when we drive home from work, when we unplug from that Zoom call, when our kids are finally asleep and we look through the day again. That's the devil getting there. Run with endurance. Don't let him hit you down. And we can do that when we persevere. And we do that when we have patience. This patient expectation of something before us. And we'll get to this point. how, how How do we see this endurance modeled? We see it modeled in Christ. We're going to read about that a bit. But we get this, uh, we, we also see this if we look at this idea of testimony. Now he says, let's run this race, uh, now therefore with, uh, what does it say in verse 1, therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I think sometimes we imagine this cloud of witnesses in this race as though we're running, and we've got the stands filled with this cloud of witnesses. Uh, that's, that's, that's fine, that's, that's okay. Um, I might challenge that view a little bit because I think sometimes that takes us to a practical theology of thinking that the saints have gone before us. They're cheering for us. They're looking down at us from heaven and they're cheering for us. They're maybe may uh, you know, praying for us. They're, they're, they're doing something on our behalf Somehow and 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 somehow we become uh, In we get into this realm of thinking about sainthood and whatever I I wonder if these people aren't something that we maybe pray to that we uh, that we are encouraged by that that are just out there Watching us, but I wonder if maybe we put them not with us in some other place But we put them historically behind us. It seems as though this marathon race that we're in doesn't have starting blocks We aren't the beginning of this race. When I became a Christian, I was not the first Christian, and I didn't invent what Christianity was. I stand on the shoulders of those that come before me, and this cloud of witnesses seems to have done that before. I wonder if this marathon is actually a relay marathon in which these saints in Hebrews 11 ran before us and showed what faithfulness looks like even in clumsy faith. Abraham wasn't perfect. David wasn't perfect. Abel. Ahab, Gideon? These people weren't perfect. They ran this race, though, of faithfulness. It was credited to them as righteousness because of their faith. They hand this off to someone else that we look at, Jesus Christ, who is perfect, who has fulfilled, who has brought about the perfection of the law and the prophets, and who does so perfectly, giving us an example of how to run this race, and he hands it off to us, and we get this and run we aren't the beginning of this race we're in a marathon relay that seems to be generational it's not just handed off to me it's handed off to us let us run this race I think almost more important for us for our prideful hearts is to hear the phrase that follows as we take this baton from the previous generation of the faithful ones who have run the race before us, this witness before us. As we take it, I think the natural motion from relay race is then you look ahead, right? And then the question I ask at that moment is, "Okay, so where am I going?" <laughs> the race that is set before us. We don't choose the marathon. We rely uh, the marathon relay in which we run. We don't choose whether it's hilly, the hilly course, the flatland course or maybe let's put this in real life terms, the privileged course, the poor course, the successful, the healthy, the afflicted course. We don't choose what kind of life we run this course in. I mean, honestly, you may be called to run this race in a life of poverty. You run the race. You may be called to run this race in an unacknowledged, unmerited privilege. And you run this race. There's a whole level of stewardship for another conversation. But you run this race. We run it together. And whatever it is, whether you're healthy, or you have chronic unhealth for your whole life, there is a race to be won. And we run it together with endurance. How can we possibly run this race with endurance? With all these battles going on, and I feel so weary, With all of these people coming before me, telling me this is clumsy, and then Jesus says, I am the perfecter of this. Now go and do it powerfully. And then we get it, and it feels clumsy. How am I supposed to do this with endurance? It's so helpful that the author of Hebrews tells us, the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We look to Jesus. Three things that Jesus is. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is our righteousness and our righteous example. Jesus is also uh, the one uh, who, for the joy that was set before him, ran the race set before him, thus enduring the cross on our behalf. See, Isaiah 53 4 and 5 for that. He went to the cross and endured it so that by his wounds we are healed. And Jesus is the founder, perfecter of faith, the one who endured, and he is the one who despised the shame. Isaiah 53 does say, uh, he bore our sickness. He carried our pain. He was reg- we regarded him as stricken, struck down, afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquity. He he was punished so that we might have peace. Jesus wasn't defined by the shame that Satan tried to attack him with that we put on him on the cross. Are you the king of the Jews? You can't even save yourself. You think that you are God, but do something powerful. Do something miraculous. Don't just hang there and die on a cursed tree. He took these things and we read in in Colossians that he took this and and he took that guilt that was on us, that when we put this shame on him, he despised it is what our text today says and he took that, he nailed that guilt to the tree and then he put to shame, shame in his death and resurrection. Hebrews 12 says it this way, it says he took that shame and he despised it. If you have the New International Version, it says he scorned it. The New English translation, I think, is the most helpful. It says, he disregarded it. He laid all that aside. As our example, he took all those shots from the devil. And he said, yeah, not really a problem. We're going to move ahead. He teaches us how to set those aside. But as the fulfiller of our faith, of our righteousness, he takes them, nails them to the cross, puts them to shame, has victory over them. How do we know he has victory over them? Let's keep reading. The end of verse 2 says, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God, uh, right hand of the throne of God. He doesn't, he doesn't succumb to it. but Rather, he is victorious over it. That is the gospel right there and so i want to turn here to our to our application application is just going to come from verse 3. so as we walk through this whole trajectory of this race i want to see what what is maybe uh, the big question that drives uh, the entire text for today the question is how does considering christ strengthen the soul weary and faint-hearted because that's what verse 3 says it says consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Consider him who endured. I don't know how many hours I have chewed on that phrase. Consider him who endured. That's seriously what is going to take me from this perplexion? That's going to take my, my weary heart and strengthen it? How possibly can considering Christ strengthen my weary heart? He says, do this so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted, regardless of your circumstances. Your heart is weary down here, and there are circumstances up here, and those are always going to be changing and always going to be, uh, going to be um, turning one way or the other, pulling you this way or that way, separating relationship this way or that way, and your heart is weary. How do we sit here as a people who have strength in hearts? It's by considering Christ. There are four ways I could I, I I've come to, I'm sure there are more, uh, but there are four ways that I could see that considering Christ will strengthen weary hearts. The first is, is considering Christ gives us honesty, it gives us perspective. You are not sovereign, rather, you are the image of God. You see, you're not all knowing in matters of life, faith, medicine, politics. You don't know the whole plan. And that could be comforting to some who maybe feel like, I just can't figure out even today. And that may be, that may be uh, um, convicting to those who maybe are at, this, at the spot where you, you really think you've got it figured out here. You've got, you, you have the plan. You have the idea. You really don't need this faith thing to interfere because your plan's solid. When we consider Christ, who is able to put to shame, shame, and put away guilt, die, and be resurrected. You're not sovereign, but you are an image of God. And the law and the prophets help you to flesh out how to reflect the image of God in creation. That's what you have to do. You don't control it. You just reflect the one who does. Considering Christ does another thing. Considering Christ gives us humility. You are not sinless. You are not sovereign. You are not sinless. But through faith, you are forgiven. You are not sinless. Uh, maybe, maybe another way to say this is uh, you are just another sinner like all of us. <laughs> I think that approach to understanding we are sinners. We are all just another sinner like all of us. That's, that would be helpful when navigating all of these debates That are out there. That'll be navigating uh, your own fallenness when you realize that you have done things wrong. So go there. Acknowledge that you are real. You are not God. You are man. We are fallen. But we see that he endured the cross. He endured the cross. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed for our iniquities, all of us. And he was punished for our peace. Why is it then that we have so much unrest if he is doing this for our peace? Well, because the sovereign God designed it to be peaceful. But the gospel helps us understand we are at unrest because of our sin. Considering Christ gives us honesty. Considering Christ gives us humility. And considering Christ gives us healing. We need healed. If we're ever to clear up the mess that we're in, if we're ever to strengthen our weary hearts, we need healing. Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds we are healed. And if you jump ahead, I'd encourage you to read all of, uh, all of uh, Hebrews 12, but I'll just jump ahead to verse 12 in Hebrews 12 that says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the past of your, paths of your feet, so that, here for the goal of, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed." I love that it says that, that Isaiah 53 says by his wounds we are healed there's something that happens that we can never heal our wounds on our own but so also we can never truly heal our wounds as we live out the Christian life if we just sit on the couch pray for healing and do nothing he's calling us to action he says don't just take the off season to heal get in the race race and in that you will be healed Verse 12, lift your drooping hands. Don't just hang there. Get them up. Start moving them. uh, Strengthen your weak knees. Get running. They're not going to just heal by sitting there. Get them strong. Work them out. And make straight the path for your feet. Focus on what is there. Focus on what is at hand. You will find that you will be fed for each and every day by Jesus Christ, our daily bread. You have everything you need just get off the couch get out of the study get out of the training room and go run that race with one another and by his wounds you are forgiven by your activity you are healed and all of these work together and this is the race that is set out before us whether it's a hill or a valley whether it's recession or pandemic, whether it's whatever it is, you run the race like all of those cloud of witnesses that have run before us. Considering Christ gives us honesty, humility, healing, Christ gives us hope. You and I are not done for. This race will end. Maybe not in our lifetime, but it will end. And it is glorious. We have a resurrected Savior who has proven that there is victory, there is hope in this race. You and I are not done for, rather, you and I have a very promising end. That finish line comes with eternal celebration. There is one who sits at the right hand of the throne of God, ruling above every power and authority in heaven and on earth. And it is our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we can come to him with our weary hearts. And he invites us in and he says to us, as we look to God, as we consider Christ, the words of Jesus, to us, the weary of heart. Matthew 11 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love this part. He says, take my yoke upon me. Put that work on your shoulders and learn from me. In the work you will learn, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Your knees might get tired. Your back might get sore. You might just need a cup of water every so often, and you're going to work but your soul will find rest. Your soul will not be weary in this work, in this race. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe the last, most practical point is that, is that we are encouraged to run with endurance the race set before us. Let us run the race set before us. Us is not you and the historical people that have followed you, or that come before you. It's you and I. It's us together. I mean, to lift a popular phrase right now, we are all in this together. We are running this race of life and faith together. You can't run it alone. It's not designed to be that way. It is a generational relay marathon, and we are running it. And we have a great cloud of witnesses that have done it before. We have a resurrected Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has proven it can be run and has given us everything we need. And we have the Holy Spirit, who the power and the work of God is worked out in our racing together. And so, very practically, text somebody, call somebody today. Talk to them. Ask them questions. Ask them, how can I pray for your heart? Where are you at? I don't, need to, I don't need to know what your, your answers to all the issues of today are. Where's where your heart? And how can I pray for Christ? For joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How can I pray for those fruits in your life this week? That is a great start for those of us who have hunkered down into our screens, who have shared half-read posts. I just put all that away. Be present with each other. Focus on the gift of today and run with endurance the race set before us. Let's turn now and pray together as we continue this race. I'll give a couple prompts and finish here with the Lord's Prayer. We read in James five fifteen the same word for, for weariness used of the sick. It says, "In the prayer of faith will save the one who is weary and the Lord will raise him up. And so, We pray to God. God, thank you so much that you have given us Jesus Christ, our friend, our healer, our brother, the firstborn among us who has run this race perfectly and given us a great example for it and given us everything we need to run well. Even so, we are weary. We need you. We need honest perspective. Pray that you would give us that. That you would show us what your plan is, at least the values, at least the mission. Clarify it for us so we can adapt it to our circumstances. We pray for humility that you would uh, raise in us uh, a, a real knowledge, a real understanding of our own sin and its consequence, that we might be a repentant people, We pray for your ongoing healing. We just keep hurting ourselves and those around us. We need you to heal us. We need you to save us. Please give us hope. It seems that when we put our souls and our hearts at the surface level of the news today, despair, hopelessness, and a downward spiral encompass us. Pray that you would help us to lay aside these weights. We know that Jesus is the true hope of the world, and we pray that you would use your church to proclaim, teach, and model that hope. I do want to take a moment here. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for a couple areas here. I want to pray for our educators, our administrators. If you could just take a moment in these areas of honesty, humility, healing, hope. If you could just pray for them. They are weary. Uh, and whether that's the administrators, educators, whether that's the the governor, or or even parents at home, just pray. Lift one person up by name and say, God, give them Christ and endurance. Pray for families. Um, our society, our culture has, has, has not encouraged or prepared us to actually be families in a, in a robust, steadfastly loving kind of way. It seems maybe wearisome. When marriage, when parenting, when being children, when being families is stressful, is more than what we've planned for. I pray for families now, uh, for parents, children, families, singles, spouses. Lift up one of these. Pray for the endurance of Christ. And also for our church, for leadership, transition… For our, uh, our financial uh, situation, and, uh, and now entering five months of social distancing. It's tough to gather together when you're gathering together digitally. Let's pray now for our church and for our weariness. Let's close here in prayer. Um, As we pray, uh, pray the Lord's Prayer. And it's a prayer that aligns our hearts and our, our wills and our minds to his, but it also is one that calls out for that bread that we need for today. Not for the whole race, but the bread that we need for today, and that is Jesus Christ. So let's pray now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.